This is the Taz and Jim Podcast. You know who I'd like to hear from today? If we have like a rodent guy, an exterminator. Pest control. Listening right now. I've got some questions because story has broken over the last couple days about the shape of 24 Sussex Drive, the official residence of the Prime Minister of Canada. Yeah. Apparently, there are so many dead rodents in the walls at 24 Sussex Drive, they are now worried about the air quality within that building. What? How many dead rats is that? Well, that's one of my questions. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, like, 50? A thousand? How what? many dead mice and rats need to be in your walls before it's a concern for the air quality? There's a rodent infestation. It can't be fully addressed until the building envelope issues are resolved, according to a report. I want to know what that means. Uh, in, in the meantime, we can use bait to control the situation. It's out of control. But that leaves us with excrement and carcasses between the walls and the attic and basement spaces. They're suggesting that staff working out of 24 Sussex Drive be moved to another location because of all the dead rodents. Mm. And it truly is a national embarrassment, if you ask me. I Like, can you imagine if there were so many dead mice and rats in the walls of the White House in the United States that they had to move the president to another location? <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, that we know. Maybe there is rats in there, but yeah. <laughs> well, there's always rats in oh, there, if definite, you ask anyone. Always fat cats, am I right? <laughs> yeah. But seriously. But bit, yeah, good thing nobody internationally knows what 24 Sussex is or cares. Like, the White House is a national monument. At least sure. it's not on that pedestal, but, but still But the awful. Prime Minister's uh, official residence, like, he should be able to have dignitaries from other countries over without having to worry like it's some sort of uh, sitcom that a rat is going to run by. <laughs> Go over the Macron's foot. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, he's from France, so I'm sure he's used to rats as well. Oh, snap. No, seriously, there's a lot of rats in France. Have you not seen the movie where the one works in the kitchen making the, the food? <laughs> anyways, Anyways, they need to do something about this. They need to spend the money, and it really does speak to the way... Canada does things. It's you wait until there's no other option instead of spending the cash to maintain things, whether it's rats in the walls at the prime minister's house or programs, healthcare system to help. Yeah. Programs to help mental health patients, whatever it is, you wait until there's a crisis to do something about it instead of maintaining things as you go along. And now look where we are. Mm-hmm. So it's like a tear it down situation almost. We got rats in the walls. Yeah. We were talking earlier in the show about 24 Sussex, the prime minister's official residence in this country, is uh, not in great shape from all reports. There's a story in the National Post about how there's so many mice and rodents behind the walls, apparently, at 24 Sussex, (laughs) that uh, they are suggesting that... The staff move out of there because of air quality concerns. Boy, that's terrible. So so many dead mice and rats in the walls that it's making it hard to breathe. We wanted a little insight on this topic. So we asked if you work in uh, extermination, give us a call. And David is on the the phone with us here. David, you're in the, uh, the extermination game? Yes, I do. 
Okay. How many rats and mice need to be in the walls of a place before you start worrying about the air quality in that building? Too many to really count. It would have to be you probably replacing the insulation at that point with dead bodies. <laughs> Great R value though on those dead rats. Uh, it's warm in there. Yeah. Hey, how? Why do you think there's so many dead rats in there? Did somebody put out poison and then like a bunch of them ate it and then ended up in the walls, or is it just stack up over the years of they, them naturally dying? Well, it's the the problem when you're dealing with any kind of rodent is first finding the entry points into the home. So that's where the envelope comes in. That's the like the brickwork or the siding. Depending who you ask, they'd say they're voted in. (laughs) (laughs) We got six rat jokes so far, baby. How many prime ministers are dead in the walls of that building? (laughs) Snap, seven. Oh, my God. Okay, so it's the entry point is the big deal. But, like, what is the solution? Is there no other option uh, than just tearing the place out, gutting it, and starting over? Well, at this point, probably that's your only solution to get rid of the smell and the bacteria that's growing in the walls. Uh, Ultimately, though, when that infestation first starts out, you want to find all those holes on the outside of the building and seal them up so the mice don't get in in the first place. What do you think about this? The Royal Canadian Kitty Brigade. We let like seven barn cats (laughs) out in 24 Sussex to hold down the place. Good idea, bad idea. I'm glad you specified barn cats because if it was my house cats, they wouldn't go after a mouse even if you paid them. Um, (laughs) uh, Cats sometimes will hunt mice, but generally once they get in behind the wall, they can just run around and the the cats never have access to them. Mm. So they'll just keep breeding and reproducing and causing more issues. What is the most mice you've seen in a wall on a job? I've never per se seen them in a wall. But in the basement of one of my residents, I took out 65 rats. Good Lord. <laughs> Live or dead? Dead. I uh, killed them. Ugh. I think we just need to get David up yeah. there. <laughs> I would be happy to do that if my boss would allow me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't ever have to pay taxes again if you can just get rid of the mice. How does that sound? I think that's a deal. I love that idea. This is the Taz and Jim Podcast. Ask a lawyer here. We've got Ian Snedden, partner with Cohen Hiley Lawyers, on the line, ready to take some questions. Steve, you wanted to know something. We were just talking about Donald Trump turning himself into the Manhattan DA, facing 34 felony charges. That's the rumor. Uh, what was your question about Trump? Uh, hey, guys. I was just uh, wondering if... There's any way for Trump to maintain his spray tan and his haircut while he's incarcerated? Are there conjugal visits for estheticians, Ian? (laughs) Well, not exactly, but strangely enough, there are rules that you, uh, in prison, that you can cut your hair, you can have it at any length, but you can't alter your appearance. So you can imagine that would be important on an eyewitness testimony case, but it doesn't seem to, to indicate... Uh, what type of case it is. So, oddly, he may be required to keep his orange hair. So you're saying you can't change your appearance because then you could switch places with a guy, and then, like, if he's re- getting released, you could... If you get a bowl no, cut no, like, like he well, has... the trial's going on because... The you old know that camera moment, You know the moment in the courtroom where they're like, is that person sitting in this room? And if Trump suddenly has, like, 
long black hair and a goatee, then maybe... <laughs> I think it's still Trump. Then maybe Stormy Daniels won't be able to identify him. <laughs> Is that why Vince McMahon grew that mustache? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, everybody knows it's Donald Trump, but that is interesting that you can't change your appearance. I'd never heard that before. I, I think that must be while the trial is ongoing, right, Ian? That's right, yeah. And you know Trump, he'd have, like, the, the fake nose, too, with the, <laughs> with the glasses and think that he's fooled everyone. If he does go to prison, he's going to have to start, like, mixing his spray tan dye in a toilet bowl. <laughs> Cheetos? Probably so. Yeah, stealing Cheetos and orange Kool-Aid Cheetos. from the commissary. <laughs> going to dye his bed sheets orange. This is the Taz and Jim Podcast. Big technological news, or this is almost reverse technology. They're saying that smartphones are so passe the youngsters are now looking for dumb phones jim (laughs) yeah we're going back to flip phones baby what exactly is a dumb phone it's just a standard phone with not smartphone features so it doesn't connect to the internet it doesn't have instagram or facebook on it it is what we used when you were well maybe and i was in high school in 2002 to 2006 and that's all we had was the flip phone so calling texting and snake (laughs) <laughs> that, those <laughs> are the only three. features your phone has to qualify as a dumb phone. Yeah, and it's actually people younger than us, the Gen Zs. The Gen Zs are doing it. So like, usually like the millennials or people older brought vinyl back and stuff like that. But the Gen Zs, the youngest people are the ones. Yeah, they're using it out of nostalgia. But what is the reasoning for Gen Z then to, to get into something that they may have never used in their life? I think they're aware that phones are addicting. I mean, maybe, maybe not all of them, but it... it I am addicted to my phone, undeniably. My name is Jim, and I am an addict, for real. Like, the amount of time I'm on my phone, it's disgusting. And they're probably learning in school about how bad phones are, I would hope. So maybe they're trying to get ahead of it? Am I giving them that much credit? I don't know. Yeah, I get it. Sometimes I'm sitting on the couch, and I don't even realize I've picked up my phone and started scrolling through nonsense that I don't care about. Oh, yeah. Or if you turn off your phone and... The theater or something like I'm not going to look at it, and then your hand does it on it like automatically goes to your, <laughs> your armrest where your phone usually is. And you're like, what it's am like, I doing? It's like Evil Dead. <laughs> what oh, is, totally. His hand, hand yeah. has a mind of its own. Yeah, I'm going to cut my hand off. It's like, why am I? Why am I checking my phone? Ugh, it's brutal. Yeah. Plus, there's a lot of pressure. Like, uh, you know, having the everything on video. All throughout right. high school and stuff, maybe got you get sick of it when you get older. You go to a concert, and instead of watching a band and enjoying the moment, the experience you're having, you're watching it through the screen on your smartphone. I like it. Yeah. Maybe we need to invest in some dumb phone technology, Jim. Just, and how much of a better mood would you be in if you didn't have Twitter on your phone all day? You know? Yeah. Well, also, if you didn't have Twitter and you set the high score on Snake. <laughs> The Taz and Jim Podcast. Big announcement yesterday. We've got a Canadian going to deep space. He is a master of science in physics, an F-18 pilot, and a Canadian astronaut. Your mission specialist, Jeremy Hansen. Pretty exciting. Jeremy Hansen announced on the uh, crew for Artemis 2. They're going uh, to the moon. Now, they're not landing on the moon. Just doing a, they're just buzzing the tower? Yeah, doing a flyby. I was hoping maybe he'd get to touch down and we could get a Canadian flag up there as well. Mm-hmm. You know? That'd be nice. 
Maybe you can throw it at it when you're driving by. Shoot a dart? Sure. <laughs> but this is, yeah, this is big. Jeremy Hansen, he is, uh, he was born in London, Ontario, raised on a farm in Elsa Craig, joined the 614 Royal Canadian Air Cadet Squadron in London at the age of 12 and went to high school in Ingersoll. So he's a local guy to the Taz and Jim listening area. And he's going to the moon. Pretty sweet. Here is Jeremy addressing everybody after the big announcement. Man, he's got to be thrilled. What I, uh, what I wanted to highlight for all of you today is, uh, well, you know, big picture when I step back, there are two reasons why a Canadian is going to the moon. That makes me smile when I say that. <laughs> uh, the first one is American leadership. It is not lost on any of us that the United States could choose to go back to the moon by themselves. But America has made a very deliberate choice over decades to curate a global team. And that, in my definition, is true leadership. The second reason is Canada's can-do attitude. For <laughs> yeah. For decades now, literally thousands upon thousands of Canadians have risen to that challenge to bring real value to the international partnership with respect to space exploration, to bring real solutions. Our scientists, our engineers, the Canadian Space Agency, the Canadian Armed Forces, across government, all of our leadership working together under a vision to take step by step, and all of those have added up to this moment where a Canadian is going to the moon with our international partnership, and it is glorious. So at the end of it all, I am left in awe of being reminded what strong leadership, setting big goals with a passion to collaborate and a can-do attitude can achieve. And we are going to the moon together. Let's go. Let's go. Moon time. Again, not, not landing on the moon. Yeah, yeah. Getting pretty closer than we ever will, Jim, to the moon. Oh, for sure. Could this guy look more like an astronaut, too? Oh. Holy cow. He's got the bum chin. He's a big dude. Yeah. He, he really does look like a real-life Buzz Lightyear, big doesn't time. he? Canada's uh, Buzz Lightyear, for sure. I wonder how he does on an acoustic guitar. Oh. That's a prerequisite, right? All Canadian astronauts need to be able to play acoustic guitar in outer space. Well, well it's kind of been done, <laughs> so he's got a... Uh... Bagpipes, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Something else. Uh, Congratulations, Jeremy Hansen, named to the crew of Artemis 2. He's going to the moon. Devin Peacock, our sports guy, is here. March Madness. Coming down off of March Madness here, Dev. Hurley and the Huskies have their dreams come true. And the championship game featured some domination by UConn. UConn capped a truly, uh, you used the word, you know, dominating performance uh, during March Madness. Uh, They won every game, obviously, but also they won every game by double digits. They won every game by an average 
of 20 points. They won last night by 17, but they've been laying waste their, to their opponents through the entire tournament. Here's an example of just how dominating they have been. They played 240 minutes in the tournament. They trailed for only 31 minutes of every single game. And when you look at the second half of games, they trailed for only 55 seconds. So they've been playing with the lead almost the entire tournament. That's how good they have been. I'm kicking myself because I have a buddy, and he he ended up winning the bracket that we're in because he bet UConn to win. Um, But he told me in that second round, he's like, bet the house on UConn, Taz. Whatever you can, put it on UConn now. I didn't do it, of course. Jim, we've been talking about how great UConn is for weeks now. I'm sure you put a little money down on them last night. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did. I was going to, and then the payout, like I was just going to put five bucks on it. The payout was 25 cents. So everybody had that same idea. So yeah, I, I, favorite of that I put point. it on San Diego, and it was like triple, triple pay, and uh, obviously didn't work out in my favor. <laughs> 25 cents, I'll take 25 cents. I'll take 25 <laughs> cents and keep the initial bet. Yeah, it's easy to say the day after. <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> but for UConn, I mean, this also has, you know, some significance in terms of uh, the, the school itself. So they've now won five national titles. They joined Kentucky. UCLA, Duke, and Indiana as the only schools to ever win five national titles. We don't often think of UConn as in the same realm as Kentucky or UCLA or Duke, but they are. They've become a basketball dynasty school. They have, and they've done it with another head coach. They've had five titles. Three different coaches have won those five titles, which is a really interesting point for me just because usually with Duke, it's, you know, Coach K, right? It's like one guy. For North Carolina, you had Roy Williams as of late, Dean Smith. Before that, they were the guys. When you look at so many other schools, it's like one guy who does it. But for UConn, they've been able to maintain that success over multiple coaches. And folks, here are your national champions, the UConn Huskies. The national championship trophy, the Panthers, Dan Harley, and the UConn Huskies. And another milestone last night. That will be legendary broadcaster Jim Nance's last time calling a March Madness final. Yeah, it's kind of sad, you know. He's been uh, the central voice for so many big moments uh, over the tournament over many years. He is uh, stepping back from that. And you're going to hear him real soon because he's going to be doing the Masters uh, coming up this week. He's still going to do football, but he's cutting back on his schedule a little bit, so it's just going to be golf and football going forward. But he has been at the center of so many awesome calls for March Madness, and last night was his final one. Guys... remember one thing I learned through all of this is everybody has a dream and everybody has a story to tell just try to find that story be kind you told it better than most let me tell you can I tell you one other thing I mean this not to try to play off hello friends but to you everybody in the college game my CBS family my family all the viewers Thank you for being my friend. The Taz and Jim Podcast. I had a moment of absolute panic last night, Jim. Yeah? Have you ever lost your wallet? 
I, I used to lose it all the time, yeah. Haven't in about worst, 20 huh? years, but I used to all through it high school and college. So I took the kids to the mall, got home. Uh, my son had basketball. I had to get him ready quickly and take him, drop him off at basketball. So I did that, got home, and I couldn't find my wallet anywhere. Hmm. Now I'm freaking out. I'm asking my wife, has anyone seen my wallet? No, no, my daughter hasn't seen it. I'm scouring the house for a good hour, and I'm starting to think, okay, well, should I call the credit card company, cancel the credit card, got to replace all my ID now, got swipe cards in there to get into work. You know, it's just going to be a huge hassle. Um, So (laughs) I'm looking for this wallet for about an hour. I decide uh, that I'm going to stop looking and just start cleaning the house, and maybe I'll find it that way. Yeah, yeah, good strategy. I'm cleaning the kitchen. I open up the air fryer to put the air fryer uh, bin into the sink so we can wash it. Yeah, I know you're talking about. And then I can put the rest of the air fryer away in the cabinet in the meantime. So I pull the air fryer drawer open. My wallet's sitting in there. How? I ask my son when Uh he gets home from basketball. Do you know where daddy's wallet is, buddy? And he just looks at me and says... April Fools, Daddy. <laughs> I said, buddy, April Fools only goes till noon on the day of. Yeah, it's not three all days April. after. <laughs> <laughs> what? So it's a joke. You didn't even know there was a joke getting played on you. Well, thank goodness I didn't throw some chicken nuggies in there or something and cook my wallet up. Sure, yeah. Could have been disastrous. <laughs> April Fools, Daddy. Oh man, you know I've heard of kids flushing it down the toilet. Like, could be worse. I'd gl- <laughs> but good thing you were cleaning up, and that the thing hadn't been cl- cleaned in a while. The air fryer, because it could have just been sitting on the counter for weeks. Like ours sits on the counter all the time. Ours does not. Oh, okay, it's a one-time use. You clean the basket, you put the thing mm-hmm. away. Takes up too much space, Jim. Yeah, yeah. But there is the, that's the way to do it. If you're missing something, just start cleaning the house. The Taz and Jim podcast. We've got our small town tournament of 64 going on. Looking for the greatest small town in our listening area. Sweet 16 starts today. And tell us about some of the matchups, Jim. Well, we've got Waterford versus Paris this morning. Taz, Paris, a lovely town to shop in and take in the sights. But hey, that's not the Eiffel Tower. That's the Water Tower. But you can still make love under it like a Frenchman, if you please. They're taking on Waterford this morning. Hey, shout out to the Norfolk Harvesters Rugby Club. What are they harvesting? Cauliflower. Cauliflower ears to be specific. Boy, those things are (laughs) gross looking. (laughs) On the other side of the bracket, we have Lucan versus Ingersoll. Ingersoll, Ontario is home of the Ingersoll Cheese Museum, where you can learn and churn. Will you have a Gouda time? You feta believe it. (laughs) <laughs> They're taking on Lucan this morning. Pukin in Lucan, Ontario has a rich history, including the infamous Donnelly family. So who's ever going up against Lucan in this tournament? Careful. <laughs> Watch your back. <laughs> you better. You feta. You feta believe it. Mm-hmm. You're cramming those cheese puns in there. I like it. Now, though, we're looking at Mount Bridges versus Kettle Point. Kettle Point, Ontario is home to a uh, something that has only happened in three different locations on the planet. They have unique spherical stones mm. made by erosion. Yes, this unique geological formation is why I always say Kettle Point rocks. 
Okay. They're taking out Mount Bridges this morning. Hey, not your best one, but you, you swung at the pitch. That's great. <laughs> Named at <laughs> Mount Bridges. Uh, this is, they're not getting better, Taz, oh, so no. buckle up. Mount Bridges, Ontario. Named after what the wife of Jeff Bridges did on their wedding night, Mount Bridges. <laughs> Home to Custerman's ding, ding, ding. I like that one. <laughs> Home to Custerman's Farm where you can visit their sunflower crop, pick blueberries, and do all the other activities your girlfriend would have zero interest in if Instagram didn't exist. <laughs> we also have Kamoka versus Grand Bend. Kamoka has already won a little side bet here for the town that sounds most like a Starbucks drink, but it's also home to the famous Little Beaver restaurant, formerly known as the Giant Hog Diner. And they're taking on Grand Bend this morning. <laughs> Where Grand Bend, little beach town there, they have their own unique version of Airbnb that travelers use often. Where instead of actually booking a place to stay, you just go drink at a bar, try to wheel someone who did book a cottage, or sleep on the beach. Those are the matchups. Who is moving on? It's up to you. Again, all the voting is on Instagram this year. So find us on Instagram, at Taz and Jim. Click on our stories and have your voice heard. Tell your friends, tell your family, get your favorite small town into the next round. It's our tournament of 64. Good luck. This is the Taz and Jim podcast. What the heck is going on with WWE owner Vince McMahon's face? You mean Vincenzo McMartinez? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we were talking yesterday about the WWE. They've got this merger going now, possibly with the UFC, which would be huge. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon was talking about it to the press, and he's sporting a new new look. He's got uh, what our producer Ryan is describing as the uh, Gomez Adams mustache. Yeah, pretty much. That, little the thin, Vincent Price. Yeah, a little thin stash. Uh, just above the upper lip and then shaved in between the nose and the mustache. Yes. Which is hard to do to look bad. You know, and to get that spot between your nose and your lip, like to ha- get the half mustache, like to, to take that much time to look so poor. I thought you meant to look like a bad guy. No. Because it does look James Bond villain-esque, Ryan said as well. <laughs> I don't know. It looks horrible. Like, it doesn't even look manicured well. It, just, it looks like he's trying it on. <laughs> you know what I mean? See if it sticks. It's, it's not good. It's the perfect mustache for a heel in the WWE. That's true. It, it makes you want to punch whoever's face that mustache is on. Big time. Absolutely. <laughs> or to see that face get punched by. It's kind of like, I'm, it's kind of Paul Bearer-esque, you know, Undertaker's yeah, guy. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Who else? Thinner, Who else would wear one of those mustaches? Oh, probably Erin R. Scheister. <laughs> IRS. <laughs> Outside of the wrestling world, oh. where else do you see those? It's usually like the hoity-toit uh, D-bag in a movie. like The, the, the rich guy. The rich husband that... The, the land developer. The land developer. Yeah, the rich husband that needs to be left by the main character for the everyman. Yeah, who's got a real mustache, a working man stash? It's wild. This just—it reminds me of when Michael Jordan tried to pull off the Hitler stash. You remember that? Oh yeah, bold move. It was, uh, 
it was proof that even if you are one of the most beloved sports icons of all time, there's some things you can't get away with. And the Hitler stash on Jordan did not last long. I cannot see, unless this is for a movie or it's for a storyline in the WWE, I cannot see this Gomez Adams mustache lasting too long on Vince McMahon's face. Well, it's weird. It'd be one thing if Jordan was accused of being an anti-Semite and then he did that mustache, but Vince McMahon got accused of a lot of terrible stuff, and then he gets a creeper mustache? Yeah. Like, why are you trying to fit the character? <laughs> I might as well embrace it and grow the classic villain mustache <laughs> if I'm going to be called a villain in real life. Mm-hmm.